Uh, good morning, New Hope. Ah, well, that's better. That's some enthusiastic people, which is great. If you're visiting for the first time again, we want to say welcome. Some of you just come back from vacation, nice long vacations. I'd encourage you to whip out your outline because we're continuing in our series part three of Transformed. And our theme verse was from Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. And it says this here on the screen on your outline. It says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. Don't do that. But on the other hand, let God transform you into a new person. Oh God, yes. By changing how? By changing the way that you and I think. How we think. Now, traditionally, we have neglected, we've loved God with all of our heart a lot. And our soul, but we have forgotten how to love God with our mind. Today, we're going to sum up this in one sentence. I want to sum up what I want to say in one sentence. And here it is. God is more interested in changing my mind than changing my circumstances. Let me, you may just want to write that down. It is a truth. God is more interested in changing my mind than in changing my circumstances. You see, how life works is often you and I want God to change our circumstances like the flick of your fingers, to take away all of the problems, yeah? To take away all of the pressures. How many of us have been tempted to ask God to just take it all away, God? To take away all of the pain, and the pains that you and I come across, and the sickness, and the sorrow, and the suffering. God, take it all away. But God says, I'm far more interested in changing your mind and your attitudes. Because that's what you're going to take with you to heaven as part of your character. So he's shaping us up on that one. God says, I'm far more interested in that than changing, immediately changing your circumstances. So why is it important that I learn to manage my mind? Why is that even vaguely important? Well, we started this series off looking at spiritual health and spiritual restoration. And then the second week, last week, we looked at physical health and how stress is related to that. And this week, I want to look at mental health. How do I have a healthy mind? And why is it important that I manage my thought life? Why is that very important? I want to give you three reasons, and you may want to write these down. The first one is because my thoughts control my life. My thoughts control my life. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23, be careful how you think. Your life is shaped by your thoughts. So every action starts with a thought. If you don't think it, it doesn't happen. And that's for good or for bad. And the Bible says that your thoughts have tremendous power for good or for bad. Now, I want to wind back the clock a little bit, not so a little bit for some of you, but if you accept a statement when you were growing up and somebody said something to you like this, 
you're dumb. If you accept that, it will shape you. You're clumsy. You're worthless. You don't matter. Doesn't matter whether it's true or not, if you accept it, it will shape you. Some people say horrible things, especially on the playground. You're ugly. If you accept that, doesn't matter whether it's true or not, it will impact you. It's going to shape your life. And years later, some of you are still reacting and acting on false information. God's word for you today is this. Be transformed by the way you think. Be transformed, be changed, be set free from that. Rip out the old code, which is full of faulty information and viruses and buggy and put in God's word, which is the truth, which will never have to be replaced. So God's word for you is be transformed because my thoughts for you are for good. Number two, I need to manage my mind, secondly, because my mind is a battleground for sin. You don't hear that word very often these days, sin. It's where every temptation happens. It's where every sin is conceived, firstly, in the mind, between your ears. Pride, which is arguably the original sin, is conceived in the mind. Lust, hatred, fear, resentment is in the mind. Worry is in the mind. Envy is in the mind. They're all in your mind. And if you can learn to manage your mind, you can learn to manage your life. And this is where the battleground is. Now, Paul in Romans 7 is very articulate in explaining how we've all felt, every one of us in this room, and listening online and upstairs have felt this. You see, it shows that we're pulled in many directions in our mind. Picking it up in Romans chapter 7, verse 23. I love to do God's will so far as my new nature is concerned. I love that. But, and it's a big but, there's something else deep within me. That's that circular word, war with my mind and wins the fight and makes me, circle the next word, slave to the sin within me. In my mind, I want to be God's servant. But instead, I find myself still enslaved, circle that word, to sin. So there are a couple of words there. War, what fight, mind and enslaved. There's a battle for your mind. A real battle. And it's an important battle because your mind is your greatest gift. And whatever gets your attention is going to get you. Let me say that again. Whatever gets your attention is going to get you. Number three, the third reason, is because it's the key to happiness. An unmanaged mind on one side leads to tension. A managed mind leads to tranquility. An unmanaged mind, you feel an enormous amount of increasing pressure until it's almost uncontrollable. But a managed mind has peace. An unmanaged mind leads to chaos. 
unpredictability and conflict. But a managed mind leads to confidence. And lastly, an unmanaged mind leads to stress. You know, you know, when you're not even trying to control your thoughts. You just let them run wild. But a managed mind leads to serenity and strength. And the Bible says this here. Romans 8, 6. If your sinful nature, if your sinful nature, controls your mind, that means there's no regard for God and His ways, just their own sinful interests. There is death. It's a dead end. But if the Holy Spirit controls your mind, there's life and peace. Now notice your mind is mentioned clearly twice in that scripture. And this week in your small group devotions, I've given you some specific devotionals that will help you have a healthy mind. Many of you this week will go to the gym. You'll be up and at it. It's hard. You'll be trying to keep yourself fit and look after the body. Let's not forget the mind. Let's not forget the mind. In fact, I would be so humbly as to suggest that the Scriptures say bodily exercise profiteth a little, but spiritual all the more. I think sometimes we've got that round the wrong way. We think if I just keep hard at my physical exercise, that is important, as I mentioned last week. But spiritual health, mental health and spiritual health is far more important. Now, there are three choices that we must make, you and me must make if we want to have a healthy mind. We must feed our minds, we must free our minds, and we must focus our minds. Three things. We're going to come back to those in a second. They're all choices, and we have to choose them. And by the way, it's not just once. You have to do this daily. I have to do this daily. Same is true of our thought life. I must feed my mind with truth. Not junk. Now we all know in this room the importance of nutrition. Good food strengthens the body. Junk food, likewise, doesn't nourish our bodies at all. And the same is true of your thought life. We must feed our mind with truth, not lies and inexactitudes. Why? Now, Jesus said this, remember. I, uh, the truth will set you free. That's the first thing he said. The truth will set you free. Why does it set you free? Because you're bound by lies. Now, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So he said, the truth will set you free. I am that truth. And he said also, Matthew 4, 4, people need more than just bread for their physical substance, sustenance. They must feed on every word that comes from God. So the Bible is your soul food. It's your manual for life. Now when should I feed my mind truth? The answer is all the time. If you're constantly thinking about truth, things that are true and wholesome and good and of good repute, it's going to renew your mind. The washing water of the word is going to change your mind. Now David provides a brilliant example of this. In Psalm 119, first part, he says, verse 147, he says, I rise early. To what? Cry out. That's a conversation with God. He's, that's prayer, talking to God. I rise early to cry out for help. That's prayer. And secondly, to put, notice this, to put my hope in your words. 
That's Bible study. There's prayer and Bible study. When was that happening in David's life? First thing in the morning, early in the morning. Second, and by the way, he says, I start every morning talking to you. I cry out in prayer and I listen to you. I read your word. And then he says, and this is key. I look for hope in your word. Hope. That's all we've called as church, new hope. Because in God, there is always new hope. Circle hope. Now, if you learn, now let me say this very clearly and slowly. If you memorize and think on his words, you will become more hopeful. You can take that and bank it. I've been reading, memorizing a reasonable, substantial, substantial um, portion of scripture for the last, well, I'll be, I did it about six months ago. That has fed me for nearly nine months. Nine verses. I say it a dozen times a day and every time I am ringing more nourishment about it encourages my heart it gives me hope but how can I do that if I can't well, unless it's within me man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God boy when you get one of those it's encouraging it's exciting it gives you security and it gives you fuel to keep on going even when you're feeling tuckered out Where does that come from? If you're feeling tuckered out this morning, it's probably not physical. It's probably internal, spiritual, and emotional. You need to go to the Word of God, Matthew 4, 4, for strength. It's a circle hope. And if you're feeling pretty hopeless about your situation, can I lovingly say as your pastor, you're probably not spending enough time in God's Word where hope is found. You will not find hope on talkback with Danny Watson. You will not find hope in women's magazines or men's magazines. You will not find it there. They are dead ends. The hope you need that will sustain and surpass everything else through the shaking in your life is firmly found in God's Word. So you start your day. Are you starting your day with hope or with despair? And you'll know what I mean because I've been there. Getting up in the morning, your stomach's in knots, your nerves are jangled. What you need is a whopping dose of God's Spirit and His Word to snap that and bring hope back into your life and a smile back to your face. So, he says it all starts here. And then it goes on, Psalm 119.27. Oh Lord, now how I love your Word. I think about it all day long. See, you're circling around God's Word, which is a truth which never shifts. And then Psalm 16, verse 7, even in the darkest night, that's when things are going south. <laughs> Not going well. Things are going to hell in a handbasket. He says, when that's happening, your teachings fill my mind. That's what Jesus said, be anxious for nothing. Find your security in Him. David knew that no matter what happened in his life, he continued to feed himself the truth early in the morning, through the day, and even late at night. He said, I am constantly thinking about God's Word. That's why David was called a man after God's own heart. And Psalm 919 verse 95 is quite an enlightening scripture. When wicked people hide to ambush... 
and kill me. Let's be serious. And when he was writing this, he was in a desert in a cave where it was stinking hot during the day and freezing cold at night. And there's guys with real spears out there who would love to have got him and a whole army just after him. When wicked people hide to ambush and kill me, I quietly keep my mind on your decrees. That's what held him strong. Do you do that in a crisis? That, my friend, is managing your mind. I feed my mind daily on his truth. Number two, I must then free my mind from destructive thoughts. Free my mind from destructive thoughts. Because not every thought that comes into your head is uplifting and positive. Your mind must be liberated. It must be delivered. It must be released and set free from some of even your own thoughts. It's easy to become a prisoner of things that people have said to you that simply weren't true. Now this is a challenge because you have three forces that battle in your mind against your good intentions, three of them. And none of these forces I've found give ground easily. So gentlemen, I want you to put on your marching boots and think of this as a war. Okay? This is a serious battle. Now, I don't know about you, but if I go into battle, I go into win. And this is a language that's used here. You must fight to free your mind. What are the enemies? Let's write them down. Fight against what? Number one, just like Paul said, my first enemy is my old nature. My first enemy is my old nature. And on the screen, the Bible says in Romans 7.23, I see my body, in my body, a principle at war. Here you go. A principle at what? War. This is a fight. It's a battle in your mind. In my mind. With the law of my mind taking me captive. I don't like that. Taking me captive to the law of sin that dwells in me. Now let me ask you an honest question. Do you ever find yourself doing something that you know is not good for you? Yep. You don't have to raise your hands on that, don't worry. (laughs) Have you ever knowingly engaged in self-defeating behaviour? You know, it goes like this. I know this isn't good for me, but fill in the blank. This is a battle in your mind. You may have all the good intentions with your new nature, but there's a battle going on in your mind. And this first battle is with your old sin nature. Friend, your old sin nature is not your friend. It is the source of bad habits. And in Romans 8, 5 here, it says those, notice the contrast here, those who are dominated, in other words, the other guys got on top here, by their sinful nature, think 
about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Spirit think about things that please the Spirit of God. Notice, it's how you think. That's all about how you think. So I may have good intentions to change something in my life, but my old nature is sure going to pull me, try and pull me off track. Has anybody ever experienced that apart from me? Going to see your hands. Okay, I'm in the right place this morning. Number two, your second enemy is Satan. Now, Satan cannot force you to do anything. He is not omnipotent. He is not omniscient. So let's not give him too much credit for a start. Let's just be clear about that. But he can, him and his hordes, by the way, there's only one of him. So we need to just be careful about that. When I say Satan today, I just want to define that as him and his kingdom. Because Satan is only one individual. He cannot be in multiple places at one time. That's a fib. You may be plagued by one of his cohorts. He's got plenty of those. But don't think that you're getting all of Satan's intention. You're not that important and neither am I. But they can provide suggestions, very tempting suggestions. Have you been praying and all of a sudden, what? where did that thought come from? Have you ever done that? You're know, like, what? I didn't think about where that come from. He's really, you know, that type of thought. See, Martin Luther said it this way, you can't keep the birds from flying over your head, but you can sure stop them from nesting in your head. Right? Those are going to come. But when they do, you bat them off. Just like I was doing the other day with a mosquito when I was trying to sleep. <laughs> Get out of here. Furiously chasing around the place. Don't sit there and go, come on, baby, take a bite. Mm. I was reaching for the raid. In fact, I was so wild with that. got up at three o'clock in the morning and worked for another couple of hours until he disappeared. (laughs) Now, please listen to this carefully. This is important. Do not believe every thought that comes into your head. Let me just say that. Just because you think it does not make it true. Such as things about yourself, things about God. Just because you think something about God doesn't make it true. Just because you think something about your husband doesn't make it true, or your wife, it doesn't make it true. It is not automatically true just because you thought it. Now, if you will listen to that one truth right there, you're on a good road to mental health. You, cannot, you have a choice to listen to what comes into your, your words or God's word. And let me tell you, God's word is a real deal. That's what you need to listen to. God's word out trumps your thoughts every single time. God's word's always true. Now the enemy will combine with you on nature to try and fire negative thoughts and ideas from the moment you wake up. You may have heard some of these coming your way. Well, you're not going to have a very good day today. Life's going to go really bad. Or how about this one? Go ahead, you deserve it. Or here's another more insidious one. Get angry. 
and get even. See, when the devil fires a flaming thought, we call that temptation. When God gives us a thought, we call it inspiration. Now look at the example of how the enemy works. When I was teaching my kids to play chess, I used to show them different named moves, keeping it simple. And I say, if you ever get into a position like this, this is the way the guy's going to come at you. So you take it a different way. And in the same way we can learn from the Scriptures, we can learn how our enemy works. 2 Corinthians 2 verse 11 on the screen. You have to go back and read the context. I haven't got time to go into all that. But if you'd love to, you can see what he was saying. He's saying basically, I've forgiven that man in the church that's causing a lot of problems. There's a, there's a guy in the church that was causing a bunch of problems. Okay, That was the context. So that, why did he forgive him? So that Satan won't outsmart us. For we are very familiar with his evil schemes. What's he saying here? Anytime you refuse to forgive someone, you have fallen for Satan's trap. And Paul says, we're wise to this. We ain't fallen for that one. We ain't going to give this guy a foothold of unforgiveness because unforgiveness turns to bitterness. And that is what you've got to look out for. The point is, Satan has his schemes and his lies and you need to be aware of them and stand up strong against them and get hold of your mind and say, no, I'm not going to have a pity party. I'm going to do what the Bible says and I'm going to forgive as far as it is possible with you. It says, be at peace with all men. Now, sometimes it won't be possible. There could be some jerk at work who you want to forgive, but they just keep poking in your face. I've done a message on that. You need to go to that one that's called How to Fight Fair. But the point is, Satan has his schemes and his lies, and you need to be aware of them. So you've got, number one, the, uh, the enemy, which is the flesh. Number two, the devil. And the third enemy that you and I have to face in this world are the world's values. This is the culture around you. This is the world, the flesh, and the devil. And it's constantly promoted by the advertisers. You deserve it. Treat yourself. They're trying to appeal to the flesh. The movies, you know, Fifty Shades of Grey. What a perversion of something that God made beautiful. Hideous. Some of the music, some of the music and some of the celebrities. Look, look, look it's, it's pointed clearly out to us here in the wonderful word of God in 1 John 2.16. All, now look at that word, that's a very big word. All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, Talking about sex there. The lust of the eyes, that's possessions, and the pride of life, which is all about success and status and salary, is not of the Father. This is not our language, friends. This is not our language, family. But it is of this world. This means the world system is not helping you live and think biblically. In fact, it's dragging you off the opposite direction. Now, you all have the best intentions of changing, but then you get this triple threat of your old nature, the nature within you, the devil against you and the world around you. So no wonder sometimes you struggle with discontent and discouragement and despair and failure. Can I just say something right now? And that is, friends, 
you will never be fully happy on this earth. You were never made to be fully happy on this earth. That's because you were made for something far better. So how do you fight this mental battle? 2 Corinthians 10.3 says this, Though we live in the world, and the Bible says, be in the world but not of it. Though we live in the world, we do not wage a war as the world does. With the weapons we fight, they are fight we are going to fight, but they are not nine millimetres or baseball bats or anything like that. We are fighting, well, these, sorry, the weapons we fight are not the weapons of the world. Our weapons have divine power to do what? To demolish strongholds. Now, I'm going to unpack that in a second. We demolish any argument and every pretension that self sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive, notice this battle talk, every thought, and we make it obedient to Christ. There's a, there is a, a sense of, Initiative here. Notice the mental battle. Now question, what is a stronghold? A stronghold is a lie that I believe in my mind. It can be a false worldview, like materialism. All I need to be happy are all the goodies. Or hedonism. All that matters is pleasure. It can be a personal attitude or an idea. And that goes like this. This is a stronghold. I know what will make me happy better than God. That is a bald-faced lie. It's a stronghold. It can be an attitude like, I am never going to forgive that person. That is a stronghold. It can be a constant worry. That can be a stronghold in your life. I know some thoughts that keep people from even going to their letterbox because of fear. Fear has a stronghold on them and it controls and impacts their life. It can be envy. Every time they go somewhere, they're envious of other people and other things. It can be resentment or pride. Or it could be, here's another stronghold, I will never amount to anything. That's a lie. Kick it out. Don't put up with it. Take it captive and make it obedient to Christ. No, you're wrong. Christ is right. And he says, if you're going to learn to be mentally healthy, you've got to learn to demolish strongholds in your life. And that's why when you're reading along, all of a sudden you often see something in the Scriptures that go, whoa, that's different. That's right, because what you've got in your head doesn't line up with the Word of God. And that's time to take that one out, throw that in the trash, and put that one in your head. The Word of God. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And it's the truth that sets you free. Satan is a liar. Jesus is the truth. Satan is a liar. He will always lie, he'll always thieve, and he'll always destroy, and he'll always deceive. But he'll make it look tempting. So the stronghold needs to be destroyed. How do we fight this mental battle. Notice two phrases in that. We take captive. That's literally like invade the country, take it over and bring it under control. Strap down it building by building, thought by thought. Clear the area of stinking thinking. Clear it out. And then secondly, it says we make it obedient. That means we bring it into submission unto Christ. It is an active participant. You don't just sit there, oh, that's an interesting thought. Don't play with it. The enemy is dangerous. 
Thoughts that run away can end up with all sorts of other issues. How do we do that? Ever notice that your thoughts can disobey you? Have you ever noticed that? My thoughts can disobey me if I just let them wander around the garden. Thoughts can disobey you. They rebel. They cannot have a mind of their own. Where did that come from? My mind can go off in directions I don't intend it, and so can yours. Have you ever noticed when, I know I have, when I need to ponder, my thoughts often wander. And when I pray, my thoughts often drift away. Get back here on the job. He says we take them captive, we make them obedient. What he's saying here is you and I have a choice. Now God did not just give you a mind, Gave you a will, a will. Now we're going to talk about emotions next week. But part of your will is to bring your mind in order and not let it wander. Now the reason why most people are ineffective and defeated in this life is they don't know how to fight the battle in their mind. Paul says we're not supposed to be ignorant of how Satan works, but you need to know how he works so you're not caught off guard. Okay? Again, going back to the chess plan, if you see a certain pattern emerging, you know there's a threat coming real quick. So you need to quickly organise your defences and just check. You need to be intelligent about this. or The the opposition's foot's going to be on your throat, and it's not a pleasant feeling. Because often when you're in a pickle, in a fork, you're stuck whichever way you go. So be careful. So just today, quickly, I want to just very briefly explain, and I did a whole message on this a few years ago, on how temptation works, because it always has the same pattern. Picking it up in James chapter 1 verse 14. The Bible says this, temptation comes from the lure of our own evil desires. These evil desires lead to evil actions and then the evil actions lead to death. Now temptation, see the process? Temptation is always a process. It is not an isolated act. People talk about like, well, I was just caught off guard. It was just a one night stand. No, it wasn't. There was a whole bunch of things you gave into before you even got to that spot. Before you got to lowering that barrier. And the Bible describes how this happens. So let's take note. So we're aware and we can fight well the enemy. The first thing that'll happen is desire. It begins within, as that scripture says, our own evil desires. It often begins, interestingly, with not something weird, but a very natural desire. A very natural desire. It could be, uh, we often think of it like, it could be sleeping or sexual drive. Nothing wrong with that. Or success. Nothing wrong with that. Or eating. They're all God-given good desires. But temptation turns a routine desire into a runaway desire. Ambition. Not wrong. Unbridled ambition will kill your family and you. So temptation turns a routine desire into a runaway desire. It becomes more important than anything. It's all you can think about. Any desire out of control is destructive. 
any desire. Now, for example, here's, a, here's, a, here's an illustration. Fire in the right place is great. Cook up a cup of tea. <laughs> Put on the billy. But fire in the middle of my lounge is not a particularly good idea. It's going to burn my house down. Often temptation is an attempt to fulfil a legitimate desire in the wrong way and at the wrong time. It's kind of like, but there's something very interesting. Temptation has no pull. It's like magnet and steel. A magnet and steel snap together. They're drawn together. But some temptations will tempt you and they won't tempt me at all. Not even interested. I have never been tempted to smoke. <laughs> Stinky. I remember the old, when I was a kid, it was like, you know, uh, you know, kissing a smoker is like licking an ashtray. <laughs> that was enough to put me off. It was pretty graphic. And, you know, people used to say, you know, well, will smoking send you to hell? No. But you will smell like you've been there. You know, at the end, there's sort of two sections. There's the smoking and non-smoking. You get to choose. <laughs> no, I'm easy. That's not the point. But I guess what I'm saying is that I've never, ever been tempted to smoke. But I've been tempted in other areas, which may not even tempt you, but they do me. Why? Because there's no attraction. There's no desire there. But it's like magnet and steel. You've got to have both to come together. The, the source of that is internal temptation. If there were no desire in me, there would be no temptation. Secondly, you begin to doubt. This is a second step in all temptation. You begin to doubt what? One, God's word. Did God say? I seem to recall those words being uttered by somebody in the garden way back with Adam and Eve. Did God really say? Tries to, well, that's your interpretation. You know, did he really say that? And the second thing we doubt is God's love. Does God really know what's best for me? Because, boy, it seems awful hard to wait. And we've seen this in the temptation of Adam. See, God gave Adam every single thing he could ever want in the Garden of Eden. Imagine that. Beautiful environment. I mean, what else could the man want? All this environment, beautiful nature, a woman with no clothes on and no kids to worry about. Cheapest. And he managed to mess it up. That guy needs some serious help. Notice though, he gave him everything. But just so that Adam didn't get a bit too cocky. He said, you can take everything, Adam. Just this one thing. Just to show you that I actually own that. To make sure you know that I'm God. Anything else, the other hundred billion things there are here, just not this one. And he put his mark on that one. He had to have a choice. And we'll go, that's another, uh, another sermon. So did God really say not to have sex outside marriage? Did he really say that? That's what you'll hear. Did God really say to forgive the person instead of getting even with the person? Did he really mean that? Is it more, really more blessed to give than to receive? Did God really say that? And you start to doubt God's word. 
And every time you give in to temptation, you are believing a lie. And you think that you know better than God. That's why it's good sometimes to continue to read the Word as much as you can because we tend to forget if we don't internalise it. The third thing that Satan does is he replaces God's truth with his lies and that's called deception. Notice the word lured. How many of you are fishermen or have been fishing? Okay. Well, you know what? You don't catch snapper the same way you catch trout. There's different baits. Different, uh, and even snapper to kingfish. Different baits attract different fish. And when you're fishing, if you're going after a certain fish, you need to use the right bait. See, to get mutton, I'd have to have a certain bait that mutton really wants, which may be different to the one that I want, which is different to the one that ground wants. Different fish bite at different things. How many of you think you're going to catch many fish with a bare hook? You may get lucky, you may snag one, but it's unlikely. Question. Serious question. What bait does Satan use on you? Because he knows you're weak. He's not omnipresent and he's not omniscient, but him and his hordes do observe you. When you're alone, he sees where your desires are. He knows your weaknesses and he hides the hook. Always hides the hook provides a very flashy lure that looks sparkling. We used to have one of those not far from where I used to live in California. It was called Las Vegas, a very flashy one. I always used to say they shouldn't call it Las Vegas, but they should call it Lost Wages. <laughs> Don't bother, just give the money to the church and let's do something good with your money. He hides the hook. This is called deception because often you know there is a hook, but you know what you do? You keep on nibbling. It's not the people that you know who like to flirt in the office. How stupid is that? You know there's a hook there. But you keep nibbling and you say, well, I'm an adult. I won't get hurt. I'll be careful. Friend, if you get to thinking those words, you are deceived. And the enemy has got you. It'll only be a matter of time. The fact is, friends, temptation is always better than what it looks. See, what happens beforehand, he, he sort of minimizes, well, first of all, he maximizes, oh, how look how good this will be. Oh, la. And you go, yeah, 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 yeah. But after you have bitten, and, and he, never, he never, ever, ever over this side focuses on the consequences of that dumb bite. Once you've bitten and become hooked, oh my gosh, and you've got that firmly in your mouth, and you can't get off easy. Let me tell you how the enemy works then. Then he maximizes, you idiot. Condemnation is incredible. That's how he works. So today, quit nibbling when you know it's wrong. Step four, there's a disobedience and defeat. 
Now it's sin. And what began in the mind is translated into the action and the end result is catastrophic. The tragic consequences. Now friends, especially young ones, listen to me carefully here. You are free to choose your actions, but you are not free to choose the consequences of your actions. They will come. Because God is not mocked with a man sows, that shall he reap. And that's the same for a woman, obviously. So God will never force you. I often used to think, oh, wouldn't it be so good if, if God could stop my dad drinking? About when he got to a start, just about was about to tip the balance. God said, no, of course, because I'm this kid. He said, ah, the hand would just stop there. He couldn't put it in his mouth. I thought, that would be wonderful. But God never does that. It is our choice. It has to be our choice. He never forces. That is up to us. So I must feed my mind. Oh, hang on, let's get this question. What am I saying? The best way to win a battle is before it happens. Don't walk into the trap. Psalm 119, 12. I have made up my mind. Is that a choice? Hello? Is that a choice? I have made up my mind to obey your laws forever, no matter what. Now, I love that proactivity and that thought, that declaration, that affirmation. No matter what, I'm going to obey your laws. Great. Now, until you come to that point, you will struggle and stumble. So I feed my mind in truth. I free my mind from destructive thoughts. And thirdly, I must focus my mind on right things. For good mental health, I must focus my mind on the right things. And I just want to quickly mention as we close this part up, three things that will make the most difference to your mental state. Firstly, think about Jesus. You've heard it said that you become what you think about the most. If you think about Jesus, you're going to become more like him. I remember when I first became a Christian, my girlfriend was pure as a driven snow. And my mouth had spent many years in, truck, in, in the trucking industry where every second word was F. I never said it around her. But the more I became, came around her, and the more I became a Christian and knew she had Jesus, the more my language cleaned up. I thought about her and I thought about God. My language cleaned up. So think about Jesus. Look at this. Here's an injunction, a command from, from uh, in here in Timothy, 2 Timothy 2.8. Keep your mind on Jesus Christ. Hebrews 12.3. Think about, this is an important one, guys. Think about Jesus' example. Here it is. He held on. That's endurance. Well, wicked people were doing evil things to him. He didn't quit. So he did not get tired and stop trying. There is a word from God for some of you today. He held on whilst wicked, no good, lazy people were doing all sorts of evil things to him. So do not get tired and stop trying. So think about Jesus. Number two, think about others. Philippians 2.4 says, don't just think about your own affairs, but be interested in others too. Now, it's both are important, but it says, don't just be exclusively wrapped up. And by the way, I don't think that's saying 99 thoughts for you or one for another person. Because technically that, I think the balance is back here somewhere. But be interested in others too and in what they are doing. 
Have you ever had a conversation with somebody and all they do is tell you all about what they're doing and they never ask you anything about what you're doing? <laughs> you know what that reveals? Incredibly egocentric nature. Selfish nature. It's all about them. One of the most refreshing things you can do at work tomorrow is go over Smoko and sit down with them and ask the people gently and lovingly questions about their weekend. How did it go? And, and, and focus on them, not about you or your accomplishments, because people will relate to that. You'll, you'll draw people to you by doing that. So don't just think about your own affairs, but be interested in others too, and in what they are doing. What's going on in their family? Because they've got hurts and dramas and pressures. Do you realise how countercultural that is? Because the world says it's all about me. I'm all right, Jack, as the saying used to be. Everything in the world teaches you to think about yourself and nobody else. Would that transform your life if we all thought of each other? Of course. It's not about you. It's about God and others. And it's only in giving your life away, Jesus said, that you'll understand what it means to really live. And to listen, to be genuinely interested in what others going on in other people's lives, your neighbour's life, your work colleague's life, is very countercultural. Hebrews 10.24 says this. Let us think about each other and help each other to show love and good deeds. And the best place to practice that, you can do that this week, apart from work, is also your small group. It's a laboratory for love. It's a place to learn unselfishness. And lastly, think about eternity. It will make the biggest difference in your mental state. The problem is we are so short-sighted in thinking about this week and our pressures. But the Bible says, hold on, time out. Colossians 3.2, let heaven fill your thoughts. Do not think only about the things down here on earth. When was it last you thought about heaven? I mean thought, not just whoo, heaven, I thought, no, thought about heaven. You've heard the old canard, which I detest intensely. You are so heavenly minded, or he's so heavenly minded, he's no earthly good. That's a lot of claptrap. The truth is, the most heavenly people in history do the most good. I think about Mother Teresa. She had a motivation because she knew what was coming. The danger for us, friends, is the opposite. We can be so earthly-minded, we do no heavenly good that'll last for eternity. We're so filled up with the pressures and the cares and the worries and the mortgages and the superannuation and the investments of my landlord and blah, 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 that we get swamped with the cares of this world, which the Bible says, be careful, they'll choke you out. The spiritual life out of you. No eye has seen, no eye. No ear has heard, no mind has even imagined what God has prepared for those that love Him. It is going to be mind-blowing. And all this will seem like a bunch of junk. Think about that. And when you start to think about that, this is what I found, those little nitpicky problems. Oh, somebody banged my car door, a pack and save are going to seem ridiculous when we get to heaven. Ridiculous. Like we used to say, didn't we, Grant? Get a grip. William and I were. He'd say that to me and I'd say that to him. Get a grip. 
There's first world problems here, Buster. The glory and the joy and the pleasure and the enjoyment of things that we've looked forward to, we have to look forward to in eternity. Remember that. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, thank you for this gift of your word, which is so poignant. Thank you that you gave us our minds and that we are made in your image. Thank you for this amazing gift of intellect. We realise it's our greatest asset, but it's also our greatest battleground. And we realise, Lord, that the world and the flesh and the devil all team up to try and thwart our best intentions. Why don't you just pray? In your mind, just say, God, help me to put into practice what I have just learned. Help me to make good choices on a daily basis. I want to feed my mind with your truth all the time. I want to free my mind from destructive lies by taking thought captive, every thought captive, to make it obedient to Christ. To not just let my mind just wander and kind of like meander and run wild. Help me, Lord, to be wise to temptation. That I'm being set up. And to realise when desires turn into doubt and to deception and ultimately into disobedience. Holy Spirit, remind me of your words that I've heard today. God, today, I'm going to make up my mind to obey your word forever, no matter what. Help me to think about your son, Jesus. Help me to think about others and what's going on in their lives. Because Lord, you made them and you never made anybody that you didn't love. Help me be an agent of your love tomorrow at work. And help me to think about eternity, that my life may be truly transformed. In Jesus' powerful name, I pray.